Hello, this is Elizabeth Ficken, and I invite you to study the Bible with me. In this season's podcast, I'll share the lectures that I've given as I've taught through the book of Micah to the women's Bible study at my church. The short book of Micah is prophecy which declares God's judgment against injustice, which will prompt us to examine how we live our lives and treat others. The book of Micah also declares God's overwhelming mercy to forgive sins, and it unveils the Lord's extraordinary plans for the nation of Israel during the Millennial Kingdom when Jesus Christ reigns supreme. Micah's name means, Who is like God? The only correct answer to that question is, No one. The message of Micah will lead us to know more about the character of our God and Savior, and will lead us to honor and adore them as they deserve. Well, as you can tell from the title of your handout, I'm going to share with you the mosaic of Micah, an introduction to the book. And I want to begin with just a few brief observations about the book of Micah. So first of all, what do you need to know about the book? It is the word of the Lord. You saw that as the answer to the first question in your workbook. It is the word of the Lord. It's also the word of the Lord recorded in poetic form. So that means it is full of puns and parallelism, which is typical of Hebrew poetry. It has metaphors. It has many figures of speech in it. The poetry will make it interesting and maybe challenging to interpret, but very interesting and memorable. Who is this book, this little book of Micah written to? Specifically written to Israel and Judah, but they're not the only audience. And we see that in Micah 1, 2. Here, all you peoples, listen, O earth and all that's in it. Let the Lord God be a witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. So all the people, all the earth, this book has a message to the people of Israel back in the day and the world back in the day and us today and the world today. So what's this book about? The Lord speaks as a witness against his people and he's his witness. His word comes with power and authority. Very clear language, mountains melting under the intensity of his declaration. That's in Micah 1, 3 and 4. Behold, the Lord is coming out of his palace, his place, palace in heaven, this place. He will come down and tread on the high places of the earth. The mountains will melt under him and the valleys will split like wax before the fire, like waters poured down in a steep place. So the Lord is speaking out as a witness. And we're going to see that he's also the judge. He can be both. So what has he witnessed that bring about his declaration? In Micah 1, 5, it says, all this is for the rebellion of Jacob and for the sins of the house of Israel. So he has seen their transgression, their rebellion, their sin. Much of the book of Micah will describe the sins of Israel and Judah, most specifically Judah. These will be the sections of this book that are not so fun and exciting and warm and fuzzy to be in and read about, but they are.
as the beautiful prophecies of hope for the future that we're going to find. And those will shine in comparison to these hard things of judgment and sin that we read about. The Lord is going to declare the actions that he will take against his people because of their sin. We're going to learn about various forms of judgment that he will carry out. The main judgment will be against the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah. And that judgment is against cities, towns, places, properties that will be attacked, destroyed. So that's one aspect of his judgment. In Micah 3, 9 through 12, the Lord talks about this. Now hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel who abhor justice and pervert all equity, who build up Zion with bloodshed and Jerusalem with iniquity. Her heads judge for a bribe. Her priests teach for pay. Her prophets divine for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, is not the Lord among us? No harm can come upon us. They were wrong about that. Therefore, because of you, Zion shall be plowed like a field. Jerusalem shall become heaps of ruins and the mountain of the temple like the bare hills of the forest. So that's the attack, the destruction that's going to come to, to the land, to the places, the cities, the properties. Another aspect of the Lord's judgment. The Israelites, the Judahites will be removed from the land of Israel and they'll be removed by their attackers. And the Lord talks about that in Micah 2.10. He says, arise and go, for this is no place of rest because of the uncleanness that brings on destruction, a painful destruction. So he lets his people know they are going to have to leave. This is what Micah is going to tell the people. So then how does he respond to this declaration, to the judgment that he's got to share? He tells us in first person how emotionally distressed he is about what the Lord will do. In Micah 1.8, he says, therefore, I will wail and howl and naked. I will make a wailing like the jackals and a mourning like the ostriches. These are noisy animals. They make sounds that are woeful cries. So it's... Um, a lot of imagery and figurative language as he describes how he cries like these animals. Micah was chosen by the Lord to give an urgent message to the people of the southern kingdom of Judah. And this is a map highlighting the dark blue northern kingdom, the light blue southern kingdom. We're going to learn much more about the history and situation of Micah's day as we begin to study this book. And you're going to really get into it in the next lesson if you haven't already seen that. But for now, it will be helpful to know that Micah saw the judgment of the Lord carried out against the northern kingdom. He saw Samaria attacked during his lifetime. Assyria attacked it and took the Israelites into captivity. So he saw the fulfillment of the word of the Lord against Samaria. That made his message to the southern kingdom an urgent message. It's coming to you, too, if you don't change. Stop sinning. Change your ways or God's judgment will come upon you. 
Did the people of Israel and Judah know what was right and wrong in the Lord's eyes? Did they know? <laughs> yes, they did. <laughs> the way God speaks to his people makes it clear. He holds them accountable for their actions. They did have enough information to know what was right. How did they have that information? Well, I'm going to tell you that in a second. God calls their actions rebellion. Rebellion is not something done in ignorance. Rebellion is defiance against what you know is right. God gave the Israelites clear instructions in his ways when he gave them the Ten Commandments. So this is my version of the Ten Commandments up here. We call these the Ten Commandments. In Exodus 34, 28, in the Hebrew, the last phrase of this uh, statement about them calls them the ten words, Eserit Ha-Devarim. And this, this uh, verse is from the complete Jewish Bible, Exodus 34:28. Moshe was there with Adonai 40 days and 40 nights, during which time he neither ate food nor drank water. Adonai wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the ten words, Eserit Ha-Devarim. So, like I said, these two tiles up here tab represent the Ten Commandments, the tablets of stone, which were written for the good of the people of God. And they were written by the hand of God. Think about that. God's handwriting was on those tablets. His handwriting is better than mine. <laughs> and I know it was easier for him to write them than it was for me to write this. Um, God's heart and mind and will for us is recorded in these Ten Commandments. And we know from the teaching of Jesus that the Ten Commandments are a living out of love for the Lord and love for others, love for our neighbors. Jesus was asked in Matthew twenty-two thirty-six through 40, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Now that question might have been saying, which one of these 10 is the greatest? Which one of those is the most important? But Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So these 10 commandments and all of the commandments of the Lord, all of the instructions of the Lord are based on and motivated for their, the motivation for us to follow them is love for the Lord and love for others. Paul put it this way in Romans 13, 9. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. What God decreed as his way for people to live is good. And that word good is going to show up. It's part of the one of the key verses in Micah. What is good? God's way is beautiful. It is loving. It is respectful. When I created this, I wanted to decorate it so that the beauty of the Ten Commandments might be considered, that we would not think of them as thou shalt not do this. And it's God's a killjoy. That is not what they are about. 
they are based on love for the Lord and love for people. So let's just make sure that we have that lockdown in our hearts and minds. So God told his people what he wanted, and yet they rebelled against his good way. And what happened? They broke the Ten Commandments. And their own lives were broken and shattered as a result. Sin was scattered throughout their lives, their relationships, and their leadership. And Mike is going to point out that, the sin in the leaders. This box of tiles represents the broken commandments, uh, fragments, things that are no longer whole. The beauty and the blessing of the Lord is in bits and pieces. This is the sad state of Israel. It's dangerous to put my hand in here. I don't want to cut myself. It's dangerous and challenging to live in the world that is stained and tainted by sin. So that is not only a picture of the state of Israel. It's a picture of our world, the state of our world today, impacted by sin. There is trouble in our world today because there are people who live in outright rebellion against God's ways. That's a biblical worldview of what's going on. Some of the people who live in rebellion to the Lord reject him and his salvation. They reject his justice and mercy. His justice is good. His mercy is good. And instead of receiving that, they live according to their own prideful ways. Is there anyone that you know who has rejected the Lord? They will come upon them. They will have the judgment of God come upon them. It makes me grieve with the emotion of Micah when I think about this. And it prompts me to pray for them. I want them to know the justice of God and the mercy of God. So if there's someone coming to your minds, I ask you just right now, say a silent prayer for them. Something like, God, save them. Send your word to them. Let them hear of your justice and mercy and respond to it. May they yield their lives to you, Lord. Our world is fragmented today because of the brokenness of people who have broken the commandments. One of the most familiar summarizes the commandments of the Lord, Micah 6, 8. This is a summary of everything. He has shown you, O oh man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? We will spend a lot of time on this verse and get to know it better and better. But look, it doesn't come until chapter six. So we're going to be learning why this is the instruction given to the people. And as we make our way there, we will be looking at what the injustices were that the people and the leaders were committing and what is the justice of God. So by the time we get here, we ought to have a pretty good idea what it means to do justly do justice to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. So there are people who reject and rebel against the word of the Lord and the God himself, and they don't know him. 
Sometimes we who do already know the Lord, we break his commandments as well. It's possible that the word of the Lord through Micah, as you study it, it may confront sin in your life. This is a wonderful, even if painful, confrontation. Our lives, our own lives are happier. They are better. (laughs) They are more peaceful when we repent of sin and do what is good. It's good for us and it's good for everyone around us when we do justice and love mercy and walk humbly with our God. So let's pray for ourselves as we begin to read this message of the Lord and pray that we will listen to what he has to say to us. Pray that we will repent of sin in our lives. May God open our eyes to our blind spots. That can be uncomfortable, but it is a good thing. And let's pray that we will learn to love the ways of the Lord that maybe we have not really loved yet. (laughs) And may we obey the word of the Lord. The book of Micah is about Israel and their relationship to the Lord. It's full of messages to them regarding their sinful behavior, the Lord's judgment and his plans for their future. This book was to the Israelites, but it's also an important message to Christians today. We are going to learn what is right and wrong behavior in God's eyes. We're going to learn about the character of God. And this book will give us a glimpse into the amazing future of the world. In the earliest days of my study of this book, I came across some commentary about the structure of the book of Micah. Bruce Waltke quoted Martin Luther, who was writing this back in the 1500s, and he complained about the prophets. Martin Luther complained about the prophets, and he said this, they have a queer way of talking like people who, instead of proceeding in an orderly manner, they ramble off from one thing to the next so that you can't make head or tail of them and see what they're getting at. So Martin Luther found the prophets a little jumbled, a little confusing. What are they trying to say? Bruce Waltke, in his commentary, in response to Martin Luther, says, These abrupt transitions reflect the manner in which the prophet or his disciples edited the book. About 20 once independent oracles comprise the book. These include doom oracles, threatening judgment, lament songs, funeral lament, reproach, a lawsuit, proclamations of salvation, prayer and praise, and so on. <laughs> more. Walkie says, the book is Micah's file of sermons. And it's del- they were delivered on different occasions. But his sermon files have been skillfully fitted together like pieces of a rose window in a cathedral, pieced together by catchwords and logical particles. And Micah has a unique structure. It is not the same as other prophets. Walkie says the design is unique. 
from the earliest days of my study in Micah with an understanding of this being a message to Israel and then an understanding that this book is a compilation of many sermons. I had the idea of a mosaic artwork as the visual illustration to me of this book. I've been to Israel. I have seen mosaics there. My first view of Israel was on the top of Mount Nebo, and this uh, mosaic is on the floor on top of Mount Nebo. And so my first view of Israel was also with a view of mosaics. This is the cover of the complete Jewish Bible that I mention every now and then. The artwork here on the edge looks like mosaics. It's very decorative, little bits and pieces. It also makes me think of the high priest's uh, ephod, I think. So that was an influence to me. Also in Israel, near Capernaum, this is supposedly the stone where Jesus broke the bread and the fishes, and this was my souvenir from that place. It's a mosaic from Tabga of the loaves and the fishes. That's on the floor right there near the Sea of Galilee. Walking around Israel, this was in the middle of Jerusalem, down one of the corridors within the gates and I also was caught by surprise by seeing this very large menorah which the uh, the Jews are preparing to use in the temple that they are ready to build I believe that will be the temple where the Jews worship during the tribulation Oh, there's one more thing. <laughs> this is my new Bible and I just got it and on the cover is a mosaic surprise. I was intrigued with this Bible because it is the Holy Land Illustrated Bible and it has um, pictures from all over Israel. It has historical information, some archaeology things. It has study notes in it that I haven't had. I mean, they're compiled right there where it's supposed to be applicable in that book, which makes it easy when I want to know something and not have to go hunt it down in an encyclopedia. This is the map of Israel on a floor in Jordan. It was created in the 500s AD in a church, and it is the first map of the Holy Land. And this Bible is a section of it. This is Jerusalem. The white circle is representing the wall of Jerusalem. So it has places written in it from um, in Greek. So this is a church period time mosaic, but it still is a mosaic about Israel. So I, this mosaic idea just kept coming over and over. According to Britannica, a mosaic Decoration of a surface with designs made up of closely set, usually variously colored, small pieces of material, such as stone, mineral, glass, tile, or shell. So I'm telling you that the book of Micah became a mosaic artwork to me. At first, when I was reading it, these various 20 little sermons, these bits and pieces seemed disjointed, just the way Luther said, what's going on? <laughs> We're bouncing from topic to topic quickly because this is a small book and there are 20 sections in it or 21. 
There are many cities and places named. They are unfamiliar to us. They're hard to pronounce. Those are some more little bits and pieces. What are these all about? It's poetic. There are many figures of speech, more bits and pieces to see how this all fits together. But the more time that I've spent in the book of Micah, the more that I've been able to see how these pieces fit together. And they afford a mosaic using all the broken pieces of the lives of the Israelites. And then the Lord combines that with even more breaking as he brings his judgment upon them to break them out of their sin. And then God does something new in Micah 2, 12 and 13. The Lord says, I will surely assemble all of you, Jacob. I will surely gather the remnant of Israel. I will put them together like sheep in the fold, like a flock in the midst of its pasture. They will be noisy with men. The breaker goes up before them. They break out, pass through the gate and go out by it. So their king goes on before them and the Lord at their head. In the mosaic of Micah, in the midst of all of the broken pieces that were a result of sin, we will see that God is going to send the breaker. This is Jesus, the Messiah. He is going to break the Israelites out of captivity, not breaking them down again as the judgment that's going on, but this is a breaking them free. So I hope you will come to know Jesus as the breaker. The breaker is going to come to rescue those who have broken his commandments. So the mosaic of Micah has pieces of old things and pieces of new things. And this combination creates a brand new artwork and this is my amateur first time attempt at handling mosaic tiles to try to give you an illustration of the incredible future that God has planned for Israel and the world under the reign of the Messiah. It is based on Micah 4, 1 through 4, and I didn't think up this picture my daughter gave me this Micah journal for Christmas. It is the illuminated scripture journal. And inside it has the uh, verse on one page and blank page on the other. And it actually is Jonah, Micah, Nahum, and Habakkuk. But the cover, I know you probably can't see it very well, but this is what the cover looks like. <laughs> it's a mountain with a sunrise with flowers and rivers. And on in the back, about the cover, the mountains, clouds, and valleys pictured here refer to the promise that... Micah 4.1, the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and it shall be lifted up above the hills, and the peoples shall flow to it. And there's more. What else does this verse say? Many nations shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths for out of Zion, the law shall go forth and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem he shall judge between many peoples and rebuke strong nations afar off. They shall beat swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. But everyone shall sit under his vine and under his fig tree. And no one shall make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. Under the reign of Jesus, the Messiah, the King of Israel.
There's much more in Micah about the blessings that Israel will experience during the millennial kingdom. You could call it the messianic kingdom. I think that's what the Jews referred. That's the way the Jews referred to it before John wrote, wrote Revelation. And now we call it the thousand year, the millennial kingdom. But it is the messianic kingdom under the rule of the Messiah. Perhaps some of those verses sounded familiar to you. Isaiah 2, 3, and 4 are almost identical to Micah 4, 2, and 3. Micah and Isaiah were contemporaries. Micah was a country boy. Isaiah was from high society. He hung out with the kings. Did they know each other? I don't know. <laughs> I'm still learning about that. Maybe. They would have enjoyed each other's company because they had the same message from the Lord that they were sharing. The book of Isaiah is very large. It has lots of big pieces that are fitted together. It's always been a challenging book for me. But the little book of Micah has become a key to the book of Isaiah for me. And that has been nice. <laughs> the introduction of Micah in my newest Bible says, Micah was a skilled orator, a master of metaphors with a genius for wordplay and blunt, vivid imagery. Few prophets saw the future more clearly. That's a pretty strong statement. Wow. What did he see? Micah prophesied the fall of Samaria, Jerusalem's destruction, the Babylonian captivity and return from exile, as well as the birth of God's future Davidic ruler in Bethlehem. And that's not all. There is so much more. I do feel like that. I have encountered and discovered and enjoyed much more information, new information. I mean, it's been in the Bible the whole time. I've read this book before, but it's opened up and I have more hope and more information about what is coming in the future for all of us who know Jesus as our Lord. On the cover of your book, I tried to capture a summary of the many things that we will learn from Micah. <clears throat> we will learn the biblical definition, God's definition of justice and mercy. We need to know that in our culture today so that we will have a biblical worldview of circumstances and what our behavior should be. There are cries for justice. So as we Justice. Let's make sure we do God's justice, his definition, his way. We're going to learn that justice and mercy are to characterize our lives because justice and mercy are the characteristics of God. Who is like God? No one. But he is making us like him. We are to be like him. We are going to see through this book how the Messiah will carry out the justice and mercy of God. See this very specifically in light of, in contrast to the perversion of justice that was going on in Israel's leadership during Micah's day. So the leadership and the kings were doing injustice and Micah's going to tell us about the king who will do justice. 
as I've mentioned, there's a great deal of prophecy through Micah regarding the millennial kingdom. And that's the time that we're going to look forward to serving our King Jesus when he reigns in glory. And maybe he'll have a golden crown on his head. <laughs> At least the cover is making us think of a king, our king, Jesus, the Messiah. <clears throat> Also in the title, Justice and Mercy, you see that this comes from Micah 6, 8. The word mercy only shows up three times in this little book, but it's such an... And guess what? It is the Hebrew word hesed. This is God's faithful covenant love, and this is a key motivation for God's actions towards us and towards Israel. Walt Key, the commentator who said Micah is composed of 20 sermons, calls them oracles. That's appropriate. An oracle is a specific statement, a prophecy, a word of the Lord. They, uh, my, Walt Key says, such a grouping of what were probably originally independent messages into a unified mosaic intensifies and enriches the meaning of each oracle. So Walkie is saying a lot there of how the combination of these sermons magnifies the meaning. But he also called Micah a mosaic. And I read that long after I'd been thinking of this book as a mosaic. So I was very encouraged to see a scholar. And Bruce Waltke has written like the one thick and almost the only one major commentary on Micah. Most commentaries on Micah come in a combination like this is Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk. Micah is so small it's usually with somebody else. Waltke has a thick book only on Micah. So, Waltke attributes the piecing together of this mosaic to Micah himself, based on Micah's first-person statements. Micah shows up in his writings. He shares his emotion and prayer and hope. There was much sin and judgment that he grieved over, but there was also grand, glorious hope for him to share. And every now and then, especially at the end, you can kind of sense that he is so excited with what he is saying. <laughs> because of God's mercy, his has said, God gives overwhelming promises of salvation and security. Listen to this hope. Micah speaks here on behalf of Israel. So Micah's speaking, but it's, this is Israel. You need to hear Israel saying in Micah 7, 8 through 10, do not rejoice over me, my enemy, though I have fallen, I will stand up. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light because I have sinned against him. I must endure the Lord's rage until he argues my case and establishes justice for me. He will bring me into the light. I will see his salvation then my enemy will see, and she will be covered with shame, the one who said to me, Where is the Lord your God? My eyes will look at her in triumph. At that time, she will be trampled like mud in the streets. Nations are referred to in the feminine, so the she, the enemy that's a she, are other nations around Israel. Little Israel, who has been taunted persecuted, attacked, and even destroyed throughout history. Little Israel is a nation with a victorious future. 
God has a plan for Israel. Not everyone believes that, but I believe God's promises that are through Genesis to, to Revelation, and he has promised a glorious future for Israel. And through his chosen nation of Israel, God carried out his promise for a savior for the world. Deliverance from sin is made possible through the son of David, the king of Israel, Jesus, who gave his life to meet God's demand for justice. Justice against sin. The grand finale of Micah is an overwhelming promise with uh, mention of this deliverance. So Micah concludes his book with this powerful, joyful declaration. And this is where I wonder if he could hardly even say it. Who is a God like you removing iniquity and passing over rebellion for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not hold on to his anger forever because he delights in mercy he will again have compassion on us. He will vanquish our iniquities. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. I think that tears could have been streaming down Micah's face as he is telling of this promise. Wow, the weight of sin is horrible. And God promises to cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Micah closes by saying, you will show loyalty to Jacob and mercy to Abraham as you swore to our fathers from days long ago. What a promise. Just take a big breath and enjoy it and be amazed at this message to Israel back in the 700, 600 BC time frame. Who is like God? No one. I look forward to seeing our God and our Messiah Jesus exalted through the messages of Micah. I hope that we will all grow in our likeness to his character as we learn more about what the Lord declares is good. What a good word. God wants us to do what is good good to him, good for him, what he wants, good for us, good for others. Let's do what is good. And like Micah says, he is filled with power by the Holy Spirit. So this doing is not dependent on our effort. It is dependent on our yielding ourselves to the Lord and to the work of his spirit through our lives. So I'm so excited about Micah. I am looking forward to studying it with you again. It is still somewhat new to me, even though I have enjoyed it for two years. <laughs> and I hope that your takeaway is going to be a takeaway of these beautiful promises. I don't think of Micah as like, oh, he's one of those Old Testament prophets. It's so heavy. I mean, that's there. But the promises are are so grand. That is what is just shining out of the book of Micah. So I look forward to enjoying these promises with you. That's all for today. I'm Elizabeth Ficken. Thanks for studying the Bible with me.